0: I don't own one of these myself, but I've heard about them, lapel pens that read, never missed a Sunday. Maybe some of you have one back home in a drawer somewhere, or maybe on your lapel. If you grew up in church, you may know about the practice, five years, 10 years, 15 years without missing a Sunday school, that kind of thing. It's not like Toddlers and school-age kids get to pick whether they're going, but some adults earn these pens as well. Never missed a Sunday. In Luke's gospel, Jesus has a lapel pen on his tunic. It reads, never missed a Sabbath in the synagogue. You didn't know Jesus had a lapel pen, did you? Well, Luke goes out of his way to tell us very early on his gospel that it was his custom on the Sabbath to go to the synagogue. So it's really not that surprising that here in chapter 13, we find him in a synagogue because it's the Sabbath. This is the last synagogue story Luke will tell. He tells many of them prior to this, but in this last one, we're supposed to hear echoes of the first one. Maybe you remember that one. It's in chapter four, Jesus goes to the synagogue. It's his hometown of Nazareth. They know him there. He knows them. His parents are there. He's the one chosen to read the scripture and to give the sermon. The folks sit up tall. You can imagine while he's reading that some of them are whispering, that's Mary and Joseph's boy up there. It's just a great moment. It's like he's home from seminary and everybody's enjoying it. And he reads this passage from Isaiah, which says, among other things, that he's come to proclaim release to the captives. And then his sermon is really short. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he preaches that he's come to set captives free. In the story we read today, he now practices what he earlier preached. You heard it. He goes to the synagogue because it's the Sabbath, and there's a woman there. She's hard to miss, she's bent. 18 years bent. Maybe she's a regular, probably. She can see the mosaic in the floor of the synagogue, but not the menorah. She can lift her hands, perhaps, in the Jewish posture of prayer, but not her eyes. She can see the sandaled feet of her friends. Maybe she knows them by their feet, but she cannot see their faces. And Jesus sees her, and without any petition on her part, he calls her over, and he says, Woman, you are freed. And he touches her, and she lifts up and looks into the very eyes and face of grace itself, Jesus. Which is an incredibly inspiring moment. But apparently not for everybody right? Not for the leader of the synagogue. He's not, he's not really moved that much. The Bible says he's indignant. You can't print what he's really feeling. He's ticked off. So he makes this sort of general announcement. There are six days on which work ought to be done. This is not one of those days. Come on one of those days if you need to be healed, not the Sabbath. Jesus responds not in a general way but directly to him and anyone else who would subscribe to his theory of religion and he says you're hypocrites you're hypocrites on the sabbath you'll untie your donkey take it down to get water and this woman on the sabbath you won't let her you won't let her be healed and freed you're hypocrites Jesus uses a rabbinic technique here. It's arguing from lesser to greater. Look, if you're going to take care of donkeys, how can you not take care of people like this woman? I mean, this is a no-brainer. And the whole passage revolves around these two words. It gets translated differently, so it's a little bit hard to follow, but it's bound and loosed. You'll unloose the bound donkey and take it to get water, but this woman whom Satan is bound, you won't let her be loosed? Now, it's not, it's not really an indictment against Judaism or the synagogue. We have had enough of that over the centuries, even bomb threats recently of Jewish community centers. This is not anti-Judaism. It is an indictment against religion of any flavor when it keeps the rules and loses sight of why. And it's easy to do. Now, we only read verses 10 through 17, but if you look at the way Luke's put this together, he's he's put two, two parables on either side of it, both of them about trees and gardens. And then in the middle, the synagogue. In the first one, he tells about this guy who's planted a fig tree, but he keeps coming back and there's no fruit on it, so he finally says to the gardener, okay, let's just chop that down. And the gardener says... Let's give it one more chance. And then Luke says, let me tell you about a synagogue story. One last synagogue story. The idea is, will the synagogue bear fruit? And unfortunately, it doesn't. It doesn't doesn't get there. Both, Both Jesus and the leader of the synagogue use a religious word. It gets translated ought. You know, like, religion's always about what you ought to do and what you ought not to do. In the Greek, it, it, just, it just means you have no choice. You have to do this. And the leader says, there are six days on which work ought to be done. That, that's the rule. And Jesus says, no, no, ought not this woman have been healed? This is the right thing to do. Now, I can't be certain of this, but I have a sneaking suspicion that the British mystic poet William Blake had this passage of scripture in mind when he wrote that poem, The Garden of Love. The first stanza is on the cover of the bulletin this week, but the whole thing goes like this. I went to the Garden of Love and saw what I never had seen. A chapel was built in the midst where I used to play on the green. And the gates of this chapel were shut, and thou shalt not writ over the door. So I turned to the garden of love that so many sweet flowers bore, and I saw it was filled with graves and tombstones where flowers should be. And priests in black gowns were walking their rounds, binding with briars my joys and desires. You hear it? A chapel plucked down in the middle of a garden. A synagogue story plucked down in the middle of garden parables. Some have suggested that what Jesus is doing here, what Luke is doing here, is retelling the Genesis story. Only instead of paradise lost and a curse, a woman is freed and paradise is regained. God knows, the church knows, that we have not always been good at letting the oppressed go free. In fact, the opposite. We have oppressed. Every spring or so, I'll get a call from some search committee somewhere. You got anybody graduating that'd be a good fit for our church? A couple of years ago, one of those churches called. I knew this congregation. And almost instantly, while we were on the phone, I thought of a person that would be an excellent fit. And I said, I do. I'll email you the name. I'll give you everything you need. Be a reference, whatever. Months went by. Caught the guy one time, and I said, so whatever happened? He said, well, clearly the person you recommended was the best person for the job. Really, truly. But, you know, we decided to go another way because, well, she, and that was it. She, she, the gates of their chapel were shut, and thou shalt not was writ over their door. And it's not just gender. At the seminary where I used to teach, the board of trustees was doing a search for their next president. They had the names that came in. One of those was an African-American pastor. They did not write him off because of that, thank God, but they did go to visit. He was a pastor of Wheeler Avenue Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. And when they went, it didn't work out, but they had a great time getting to meet him. And one of the members of the committee told me this story. He said while they were still arriving and all of them getting out of the van, he noticed that they had these huge brass doors, eight, ten brass doors across the front of the church. And there was this black man out there polishing them. And so he went up to him. He said, so those are beautiful doors. And he said, you want to hear a story about these doors? He said, oh, yeah, I want to hear a story. And he said, when we were building this church, we found these doors at an auction. These were the doors that used to be on a theater in downtown. And none of us ever went through these doors. But we do now. We put them on our church. And every Sunday we go through those doors and they are open to anyone who comes doors of their church were open and it's not just race tech sample some of you know him taught at saint paul he tells a story about a small church where he was and there was a woman named sarah who had been a man and this transgender person had been welcomed it was tough for some folks it was awkward but they they did they did the right thing they embraced her and they welcomed her but she wasn't there hardly any time and she got a job offer And she moved out of state. She bought a house. She started a new job. And then her employer found out about her identity. And even though they pretended it was something else, they fired her. And now she had no community there. She had a house. And she was depressed. I mean, she she came back almost immediately to visit. And it was a small church. And so they were sharing prayer requests. And she told that story. And she cried through the whole thing. And when it came time for communion, one of the people who was coming forward to serve tapped Sarah and said, come and join us. And they gave her that plate of bread. And she was going to say the bread of life, you know, as it was given, but she couldn't. She just was crying. And, And so people seeing this, well, they passed around those little packets of Kleenex. And everybody that went forward received a piece of bread and then blotted Sarah's face. She was and is a daughter of Abraham and Sarah. See, before this story in the gospel, Luke tells about a tree in a garden, and afterwards he does it again. This one is about the mustard seed, little bitty seed. But if you plant it in the garden, it becomes this tree. With room enough for birds to nest in it. Don't let that image pass you by. Let that sink in. A tree with room enough for birds to nest in it. The kingdom of God, or better yet, the reign of God, is not a cathedral with closed doors. It's more like a garden with a tree in it and room enough. For the birds to nest in it. All of God's birds, even us.